What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells, and this is another episode of Untap, Upkeep, Drink, the Magic the Gathering podcast where we casually talk all things magic while enjoying a few brews. As always, to my right... Hey guys, it's Drew, back again. Uh, today we're going to have a nice special episode for you, we're talking about finely aged brews. We're all talking about the original Commander decks from 2011, and also just some nice barrel-aged beers. Mm-mm-mm. So... Kind of just to, to catch you guys up from what we've been doing. Uh, obviously, recording the podcast takes time, uh, editing and everything like that. So, had a couple beers in between. Uh, first one, because we were talking about sours during that last episode with Corey, I wanted to to bring in the raspberry sour from Crush. Now, didn't make it onto the episode itself, but it was a damn good beer. I don't like so sours, but I kind of had to to branch out of my, my comfort zone and try that. And it was fantastic. Absolutely would recommend it. Uh, a lot of raspberry, not really, again, not really like heavy on that, that sour taste that I always feel is in there. Um, but maybe it's because it's not on tap. Maybe it's not aerated properly, whatever. Maybe because it came out of a can, but it was good. Definitely enjoyed it. And the other one I had to jump back into my own comfort zone was the Rogue Hazelnut Brown Nectar. Now Rogue is a brand that I've had time and time again. Uh, they have the, it was the lemon IPA or something along those lines. It's based on a donut and it's, Pretty fucking good. That one, definitely enjoyed. Uh, but this one, the, the Brown Nectar, kind of, I wouldn't say it's necessarily disappointing. It is a hazelnut beer. At least that's the the idea. And this one was Pretty a little... Pretty neat can, though. Yeah, definitely got a good can. Uh, but the uh, hazelnut aspect of it was super weak. Not my favorite hazelnut beer that I've had. And it kind of was like an offshoot porter, almost, rather than doing like a, a, a brown ale. Definitely would recommend trying it, but if you're looking for a hazelnut beer, not for you. All right. Today, I'm starting it off with an Oak and Orchard. That's the brand name. It's a sour ale aged in oak barrels with cherry, blackberry, and black currant. Made by Epic Brewing. So we're going to try this out. It's got a really weird color. A little reddish-orange, kind of honey-like. Almost no head on it, though, so that's a little weird. I guess sours probably don't. Yeah, it also matters how you pour it. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, personally, I'm drinking the Goose Island Bourbon County brand stout. Now, this is barrel aged in bourbon barrels, so it's definitely going to be stronger in alcohol. And this is a limited edition. This was the 2018 specialty uh, stout. I believe it's an imperial stout from them. I've had their 2017 last year. It was a damn good beer, so I was really excited to get this one. Uh, I mean, just by the look of it, it looks highbrow. Yeah. Uh, they've got their their description on here. Intense aromas of charred oak, vanilla, caramel, and smoke. Let's see how it is. Now, just on the first pour here, this thing is dark. This that thing is dark. Is, Even the, the head is dark. Like, this thing, you're not looking through it. And the smell on that is is a strong boy. Let's smell it. Let's smell it. Well, I'll smell it out of the bottle. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's just bread. Straight bread. Ooh. I can't thick? help but just have a, a smile on my face after having that. That is fucking fantastic. I'll have Gary just give a taste here. Let's it's going to be it a stark comparison to what he was just having there with that sour, but my Lord, oh that my is fucking fantastic. That tastes like wood. I really, I mean, you can taste you can the taste, barrel. That's yeah, you good. can taste the oak Well, the on bourbon that one. too, yeah. And the, the bourbon definitely has that, that lingering taste on it. I think this thing is like a 15% uh, stout, 
And it's an Imperial, so you know it's going to be definitely that stronger, stronger variety. And Goose Island, I mean, they make good shit. But damn. <laughs> that, is, that is worth strong. It's That's uh, good, though. I'm excited to, to have this episode. Tell you what. Honestly, looking at mine, the Oak and Orchard, it looks like wine. It's got a wine smell to it a little bit. You know what I mean? That like yeah, it definitely does berry. have a, it definitely does have a, a fruity aroma to it that has uh, the sour notes to it that yeah. you kind of expect out of a sour. Oh yeah, and if you thought that last one was good, you're probably gonna hate this one. This one's real sour. Oh fuck! <laughs> if only you could see Do his face. Do not go from the fucking imperial <laughs> stout onto a sour. That was a mistake. Quite, I need a palate cleanser. Quite tart. It's really good though. If you like sours, I'm down for this. You can taste the barrel on this one too. Not nearly as strong as the Bourbon County, but Epic Brewing. Shouts out to you guys. Yeah. Also well shout done. out to the Goose Island because that. Oh god, I'm I'm pumped. All right, so let's just jump into the episode here. Commander 2011, the OG Commander. Woo! This was five decks that they did, and all all themed. Like they it was kind sort of, of as far as like a a launching off, like go have a party, find four friends, and. And just start right from there. Right. Definitely was kind of a, hey, this is what Commander is. We're going to give you three Commanders from every deck. We're also going to get throw in some extra Legends. And this is what we think Commander is all about. And maybe more along the lines of, this is what Commander can be. And this is definitely a jumping off point. It's not by any means like super strong synergistic decks. Like some of them are definitely more along those lines, but... You'll see what we're talking about when we're going on. So the first I think deck, you have to keep in mind, too, that they were supposed to be like at like $35, $40 price point per box. So I think that they tried to keep the price range uh, consistent throughout the years. This last yeah. year, they bumped the price and dropped the product, dropped the ball. Uh, let's jump into it. First deck, Heavenly Inferno. This is the one with Kalia of the Vast. So Kalia of the Vast is a 2-2 flying cleric human. Legendary creature, of course. She costs one white, red, and black. And she has the text, Whenever Kalia of the Vast attacks an opponent, you may put an angel, demon, or dragon creature from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking that opponent. I really like the text, attacks an opponent, not deals damage to target player. Oh, yeah, then you could opponent. just put a pinger on there and the rest yeah. of the text kind of looks... Looks kind of odd. So it's just anytime she starts out with any attack, she doesn't even have to finish it. Right, she doesn't have to commit. And if it did, if it was combat damage, then I think it would be less strong, but I think that it would still be very good because this does one of the things that is the most powerful things that you can do in Magic, and it just cheats mana cost. It doesn't just cheat mana cost. It literally says, put it onto the battlefield. It's not casting. It's just, it goes onto the battlefield. That's a very hard effect to deal with, and it's just... Like, we're talking about angels, demons, and dragons. Like, we're talking about creatures that have very powerful effects. And very large mana costs. And also, very large bodies. Like, Kali's a 2-2. And so, if you're cheating out a 5-5 five, five angel, 6-6 six, six dragon, like, you're putting in some serious damage when work. these connect. Potentially as soon as turn 3, if you're ramping correctly. I mean, if you get some hot ramp, yeah, you could you could swing turn 3 Which for sure. Which in this deck, by the way, we'll get there. <laughs> Good Not luck. so hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kalia on EDH rec has about 2,500 decks. So she's definitely a popular commander. Um, one of the other commanders that is in the deck, not exactly as synergistic as the rest of them. Uh, we've got Tariel Reckoner of Souls. So Tariel, again, legendary creature, angel. She costs four white, black, red, and she has an activated ability tap. 
Choose a creature card at random from target opponent's graveyard. Put that card onto the battlefield under your control. So this is better than any threat in effect. It's just from the graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Not until end of turn, just period. So this is fantastic if your deck has a lot of removal, board wipes, whatever. It's just, I'm just going to steal your shit. And you can't, like, what can you do about it unless you exile shit from your own graveyard? I guess you could stifle the effect, but we're going from graveyard to battlefield which means you kind of want your creatures to die, or their creatures to die. I was going to say, if it, it was any graveyard, I think it'd be obviously a lot more powerful because you can start to choose what goes where at that right, point. certainly. But I mean, still, so if you're just tapping. You don't even have to pay mana cost. Yeah, again, this is a very strong effect in that you are cheating mana cost here. You don't have to cast their creature. You just put it onto the battlefield. The last one is kind of the, the specialty, the flair of these sets in that every single one of these decks from 2011, the original commander set, has a dragon in it. So this dragon is Oros the Avenger. Three white, black, red, flying, as all dragons do. Whenever Oros the Avenger deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two and white. If you do, Oros deals three damage to each non-white creature. So almost a mini uh, board wipe, kind of a pyroclasm type effect on here. Uh, You just get a lightning bolt everything, which... Or, sorry, not everything. You get lightning bolt non-white, non-white creatures. Yeah. Um, and so if you're playing a deck with a lot of white in it, then you're probably fine. Uh, kind of targeting your opponent's stuff with it uh, without actually targeting it. So you can do damage through Swiftfoot Boots, Lightning Grooves, etc. So all of the dragons have this sort of effect. When it deals combat damage, you may pay two and a color. If you do, it has an effect. So in comparison, we've got Oros, about 150 cards, or 150 decks, Tariel with about 500, and Kalia with about 2,500. So that really shows the popularity of Kalia versus the other ones, and also the strength of her effect. So looking at the deck, we look at it, we look at the, the cards in it, and we kind of identify, what does this deck want to do? And it's pretty clear that Kalia is meant to be the, the head of this deck. She's the one that has the best synergies with what's in the deck, and she really just kind of says, okay, this is what I want to do. Here are the creatures that we're going to cheat out. We run from there. Yeah, just cheating mana cost, bringing out big boys as soon as possible. All right, so with all these decks, we've kind of broken them down into just the basics and then kind of the the specifics of the deck. So we've got, if you want to build this deck yourself, it's going to cost you about 100 US. Which isn't terrible. I mean, that's basically the the price I set for myself when I'm building a deck. So that's not too bad. Well, especially when you're throwing in a bunch of dragons and demons. They can be... Unfortunately, the dragons and demons aren't the greatest. We'll talk about that in a bit. But they can be costly. Absolutely. Uh, the average converted mana cost is about four. So it's a little higher than I would like on most decks, but it's not unreasonable considering that we are trying to cheat mana cost and yeah. also we're talking about angels, demons, and dragons. Um, it's got 38 lands, which are split fairly evenly between the colors. The ratios are pretty pretty good on it. That's not uh, bad. Like, I can't be upset about that. 38 is kind of like the top end of... In case you can't cheat them out, you might be all, yeah, sometimes all right. You have, um, unfortunately, this is where we start to run into problems. We're looking at ramp and card draw and unfortunately there's only five real ramp specific cards and you're looking at signets soul ring it's just not enough to if you have to hard cast these spells to to do so efficiently um the other thing we're looking at is your card draw card draw in this is atrocious we have a artifact that you can crack to search for basics which is not ramp because it puts it into your hand not onto the battlefield and then we just have one hard draw spell. And that's way too little in a deck like this. This deck wants to 
punch out and cast things for or not even cast them. You want to put stuff on the battlefield for free, which means you're dumping your hand at a fairly I was gonna decent say, rate. You're going to be fast, and then you're going to have nothing. Yeah. in your hand. Uh, the next category we looked at was removal, and it has about nine removal spells. Which, considering that Tariel is in the deck, I don't hate, but it's still a little high for what I'd like to see in most decks, especially considering that Kalia is kind of the helm. And you want to focus more on protecting her than removing other threats. Um, they also have the the vows, the cycle of vows in this set. And if you include those, there's about 12. Uh, I wouldn't include them, though, if I were you. No, generally not. Those probably are the first three you're going to Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we're looking at board wipes. There's six board wipes, which if you're cheating stuff in, kind of feels bad because you're getting way more value off of your uh, casting than you are of getting rid of other people's stuff. Your stuff is probably going to be bigger, and it's probably just going to have better intermittent effects. Yeah, none of them is going to be Cyclonic Rift, so you're not going to be able to protect your own shit. It's just wiping everything. Right. So let's look at the creature specifically because Kalia cares about creatures. She cares about angels, she cares about demons, cares about dragons. But how much of these creature types are in the deck? We're looking about, man, for Kalia's specific cards, you got 11 angels, 5 demons, 5 dragons, so 21 sort of... Deck-themed creatures. Right, which, which isn't bad. I'd like to see about 25, 25 to 30 yeah. in a commander deck like this. Uh, but the biggest problem I have with some of these is that they're just straight non-bows with Kalia. What I mean by that is that Kalia cheats things in. So if you have a card that reads something along the lines of Lightkeeper of Amiria, which has multi-kicker uh, of one white. She costs three and, and a white. Uh, creature, angel, two, four. She has flying, and when Lightkeeper of Amiria enters the battlefield, you gain two life for each time it was kicked. So multi-kicker only happens when you cast the creature. Right. You can't cast that. You can't kick it after cheating it. Right. So you cheat it in and you get a 2-4. Woo. There's also two demons in there that have very specifically have the stipulation if cast from your hand. So right. it's basically like they've put it in there as a this or that sort of thing. You don't get the ETB unless you physically cast it, which works directly against Kalia. Right, and we're looking at Dread Keiko Demon here, which costs seven black, black, black for an 8-8 eight, eight demon. And when Dread Keiko Demon enters the battlefield, if it was cast from your hand, destroy all creatures your opponents control, then tap all of the creatures you control. Which, if you're cheating it in and she's attacking, you know, your stuff's already tapped, you don't care. But if you cheat it in, you don't get this effect at all. So you go from having a nice board wipe potential here to just, I have an 8-8 eight, eight coming at you. Which isn't the worst thing. It doesn't it does have, have haste, but mm, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the idea that you, you know, if you're building a deck on your own, you're not going to force yourself to make a choice. You know what I mean? You're going to find another 8-8 eight, eight that, that has a better ETB that's not Or just an activated stipulation. Like, yeah. It's nice that these have ETB abilities or cast abilities, but if you're not getting that cast trigger, then it doesn't matter. The last one we're looking at here is Reaver Demon. And River Demon is four black, 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 black. Yes, that's four <laughs> mana symbols. And has flying. It's a 6-6 six, six demon. When River Demon enters the battlefield, if you cast it from your hand, destroy all non-artifact, non-black creatures. They can't be regenerated. See, and that's the type of mana cost that you specifically want to cheat. And yet, if you cheat that in, you don't get it. I yeah, mean, the whole purpose of the card is to board wipe. You don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. And Kalia, she does have black in her mana cost. <sighs> she is a black creature. And so she does get affected by this. But you don't get that effect. Probably 90% of the time that you're getting this card out, all you're getting is a 6-6 six, six flyer. Right. Which is okay. 
Um, Again, if you had more card draw and you could kind of guarantee that you can throw cards out of your hand like every turn, that might be different. But I could definitely see many turns where that's the only play you have and then you have nothing else. You just have a 6-6 flyer. Absolutely. And And I guess to go off of that, needing stuff in your hand is Malfagor. So Malfagor is a legendary creature. Costs two black, black, red, red. Uh, Demon Dragon. Mambo combo here. He's also got flying. And the most important thing on Malfagor is his ETB ability. When Malfagor enters the battlefield, discard your hand. Each opponent sacrifices a creature for each card discarded this way. So this isn't great. Because with Call It, you want to have stuff in your hand. And you don't have a lot of card draw access in this deck to get there. So if you're discarding stuff just to make your opponent sacrifice creatures, you're kind of losing out in that you don't have other things to bring back or to to top out on. Yeah, it seems really situational. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Only if you have a bunch of garbage in your hand that you're not planning to use would this be... Yeah, Kalia definitely wants you to have access to powerful creatures in your hand so that she can cheat them out, and you're just throwing them away in a way that you probably should have other effects in your deck to deal with the same circumstances. It, yeah, it's almost better to keep those three and try and use those to deal with the threats than to toss them away and not have them at all. Now let's move on to the dragons. Obviously, we've got Oros because he's one of the, the potential commanders for the deck, but he doesn't do that much. Like he, Obviously, you'll be able to get a, probably a free uh, trigger off of him because he'll do combat damage most likely the first time you get him out. Uh, but the the two that I really want to focus on here are the dragon whelp and Furnace Whelp. So Dragon Whelp is two red-red. Furnace Whelp also two red-red. Both have flying, but they have the fire-breathing ability, and they're two threes. So while the fire-breathing ability can be incredibly powerful, especially if you're cheating them out, then you have just red mana sitting around, you can pump it into them. But wouldn't you rather just have a bigger, better dragon also with fire-breathing? If you're planning to cheat things out. Like, if you have to hard cast them, that's fine, but... That's not too bad. It's just, they're very weak creatures on their own. So the last creatures in the deck that are really kind of specific to the deck are, we've got Anger. So Anger is one of the incarnation cards. It's an amazing card, uh, especially in a deck that cares so much about combat. So Anger is a 2-2 incarnation for three and a red. It has haste, and as long as Anger is in your graveyard and you control a mountain, creatures you control have haste. So I'll hit... Kalia is going to cheat out creatures and put them on the battlefield attacking. Sometimes you do just need to have creatures that you cast. And having anger in there is going to really help you push along damage that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Yeah, if someone wipes Kalia and then you've got to decide on, do I want to cast Kalia again with two extra? Or do I just want to cast something from my hand? You want to be able to at least have the same effect. Absolutely. I like this card. Yeah, anger anger's great. I put it in uh, a lot of decks that I have that care about combat, which... I mean, a lot of my red decks. decks. Yeah. And you're probably going to have a mountain. If you don't, then I'm sure if you've got fetch lands or, I don't know, let's say Terramorphic Expanse, then you can you can get there. Yeah. Uh, there are some other just kind of value creatures in here, and we'll talk about more card specifics in a second. But the the one that I don't really have on the list because it's kind of, it's very specific, and that's Mother of Runes. So Mother of Runes in other formats with only one player that you're playing against, these heads-up formats, is incredibly powerful. She's got the ability to tap target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. That's that's an incredibly strong ability. And obviously she's in here so she can protect Kalia. But when you have two other people, she becomes so much less powerful. Yeah, just because one person might try to take her out doesn't mean the other two aren't also. Also, other people can react to her ability. Because generally you want to activate Mother Runes after they've targeted her. And then you give her protection. But if you do that and somebody else responds, 
But Mother of Runes has already done her job and she can't do anything else. But let's look at specific cards that are the notable cards from this deck. So first one on the list, of course, Anger. Anger is just a good card. Um, the next one is a very targeting card for some of the other decks in here. It's kind of a, a meta-specific card that I think Watsy put in here because they knew that there was a lot of graveyard interactions, and that's Bazooka Bog. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I think this one's probably targeted for a couple of the other decks in this set specifically that have some graveyard, graveyard interactions. Yeah, absolutely. So Bajuka Bog is a land. It taps for a swamp. It comes in tapped, unfortunately, but it also has the effect that when Bajuka Bog enters the battlefield, exile all cards from target player's graveyard. That's huge. That's massive. It, it's a free, and I say free, you know, obviously it comes in tapped, so there is a cost to it. Uh, it's one of the only ways to beat those graveyard decks because you just can't kill their creatures. Sometimes. You have to exile them. Sometimes it's definitely the, the way to, to mess up those decks. Because it is a land means you're putting it on during your main phase, and that's when you have to do it. And sometimes they're acting, you know, on their turn, and you can't just target the stuff from their graveyard without Bajookabog. So the next one we have here is Bassandra Battle Seraph. Legendary creature, Angel. She costs five. That is three red-white. So she's potentially a Boros commander. She's got flying, as all angels do. Players can't cast spells during combat. Gorgeous art. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Looks like a canvas painting. I yeah, really like this one. Teresa Nielsen absolutely knocked out of the park with that one. Uh, but she's, again, a very combat-centric card. And she also has the activated ability. Red target creature attacks this turn if able. It, it's definitely, again, one of those political cards that says, okay, you need to attack. And it opens up the board for you to go in with Kalia because she is a small creature. She's going to die if somebody has flying and can block her. And it enables you to say, okay, block or... Oh, you just got your first 6-6 six, six and you're trying to sit on that? Too bad. Yeah, exactly. Throw it so, out there. And and some of the times it's like, yes, attack me because then I can attack you right. with bigger creatures that I'm cheating in. Up next, we've got Bladewing the Risen. Now, this is three colorless, black, black, red, red. So seven total mana. He's a legendary creature zombie dragon, which in and of itself is so badass, by the way. Yeah, He's a 4-4 four, four with flying when Bladewing the Risen enters the battlefield. You may return target dragon permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And that's huge. It's usually to the hand. And then for a black and a red, dragon creatures get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So super fire breathing. It's a defensive fire breathing as well. Like that's such a good ability. Burn. But there are five dragons in this deck. Yeah. That's not enough. If he comes in and he doesn't pull anything out, you're just looking at him like, well. The chances of him being the first dragon you cast are actually pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. And you... Have him and you look at him to say, uh, he gets plus cooler. one, plus one for two mana, which, uh, sure. But also, but then you're looking at a five, five for seven. Mm, I mean, he's flying. Meh. Yeah. Not, uh, not the best. Fine if you cheat him in, but kind yeah, of I think commander. if you have more dragons in this deck, he's a lot better. Yeah. If you, if you run heavy on dragons in this deck or just make a deck out of him yourself, there's about a hundred decks or so. <sighs> there's on, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Black, red dragons definitely sounds pretty sweet. Maybe put Skitherix in there, kill someone with Infect. And he's got the recursion kind of built into him. Yeah. Next one we have is Malfagor. Mentioned him before. He's definitely a non-bow with Kalia. Unfortunately, you don't really want to be discarding your hand, but Demon Dragon. I mean, it says he's a Demon Dragon, but it kind of looks like he's like a hippo or a centaur with a big giant ass tail. I don't know. What do you see when you see that? He's got four oh, yeah, arms. The, uh, the Iconic Masters, I think, printing of him. Definitely looks... Bizarre. Bizarre. Bizarre is the correct. But I mean, he looks badass, but it is, he's just weird. Yeah, the original printing definitely from Innistrad from 
you'll, you see it's, uh, more iconic art, I think, for him. Yeah. But he's too colorless. Again, black, black, red, red. He's a legendary creature, demon dragon. He's a 6-6 with flying, and it says, when Malfagor enters the battlefield, discard your hand. Each opponent sacrifices a creature for each card discarded this way. We talked about that a little bit already. So the problem is that he's an Anbuakalia, but he's kind of a cool creature on his own. Like, if you are in a deck that cares about discarding, I mean, shit, I'm kind of tempted to make a madness deck around him. Wouldn't that be fun? Just get him out. Obviously, you want to try and cheat him out somehow. Maybe you have flicker effects or something like that, and then just cast a bunch of shit for free, and then your opponent sacrifice shit. So that sounds fun. The last commander that you can get out of this set, the Chroma Angel of Fury. Five red, red, red. High mana cost, but she's a 6-6 six, six angel, legendary creature. A Chroma of Fury, Angel of Fury, can't be countered. Huge. That's massive. That's Just by itself. 6-6 six, six can't be countered. As Flample, the legendary flying trample, protection from white and from blue. So those are very strong abilities, and she's not done. She also has red. A Chroma Angel of Fury gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn. She has fire breathing, an angel with fire breathing. And one more ability just because that wasn't all enough. In case you needed more. She's got morph. So you can put her down as a 2-2 for three mana. And then for three red, 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 you can flip her face up. I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to be morphing her, but if you do, that gotcha is going to be awesome. <laughs> That's true. I, I don't know why. I mean, I know why they would include this card just because she's badass without the morph, but I don't know why you would would want to be morphing her in this specific deck oh, yeah, since it's if, not morph-centric. Yeah, if somebody knows this deck and you just say, I morph, then people are just going <laughs> to be like, a chroma, kill it immediately before you can activate it. Like, especially if they don't, they're not representing her, her morph flip. Even without the morph, she's great. So you definitely, I think of all the cards, you keep her for sure. Oh yeah, she's, she's cool. Um, and then a tag along for her, we've got a Chroma's Vengeance. Which is just a classic board wipe. Four white, white, sorcery, destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So it hits things that are difficult to deal with on their own. Artifacts all, and Not all of one, but all of them. All, yeah. She's getting a massive wipe for us. And then it also just has cycling. So you can pay three, discard this card to draw a card. Sometimes you don't want to wipe because you have all the good creatures and you just need to get rid of it. But on its own, it's just an incredibly good board wipe. Sometimes you just can't interact with artifacts or enchantments. And if you have to sacrifice a few creatures, it might be worth it to stop somebody else from winning the game. So next one on our list, we've got Mortify. Just your classic Orzhov removal. Destroy target creature or enchantment for one white, black. Instant Instant it's, speed. It's fantastic. It's it's just premium removal. Can't go wrong. Uh, next one we got Path to Exile. Just, this one's a staple. It's a staple in the format. If you're playing white, you're playing Path to Exile. Pretty much. Like if you're not. Even clear into 2019, I think. Oh, absolutely. It, it is one of the best removal cards in the game of Magic. It the is text. cost one white to exile target creature. No graveyard shenanigans, no nothing. Its controller may search his or her library for a base clan card. Put that card on in the battlefield tap and shovel his or her library. So Path to Exile is just an incredible card. It's something that, like I said, if you're playing white, put it in your deck. Yes, it kind of helps your opponent because it does get them another land. But ha them having another land versus them having a creature that matters is huge. Especially in graveyard interaction decks, exiling target creature is it's God, ludicrous. It just for deletes white. all their value. Yeah. Yeah. For one white, you can't go wrong. Another one we have on here, a little more expensive. But still a staple in Commander if you're in white. And that's Return to Dust. Another instant. It's two colorless and two white. It's instant speed. Exile target artifact or enchantment. If you cast this spell during your main phase, 
you may exile up to one other target artifact or enchantment. So if you time it right, if it's not the most time-sensitive situation, I mean, two artifacts, two enchantments, or one of each for four, that's not terrible. And so it's exiled. One of the things that I've seen with this is that this is just a Lightning Greaves removal. You need to target it. True. You got to get rid of it. Somebody else wants to play a spell. You say, okay, wait till my turn. I'll take care of it. And then you also blow up one of their things. But if you make a nice deal with them that says that they're going to kill the creature that you just removed the, the boots from, easy. Next card. What do we got here? Siphon Flesh. Siphon Flesh is a black card. It's four colorless and one black. So five total mana for a sorcery. It says each other player sacrifices a creature. You create a 2-2 black zombie creature token for each creature sacrificed this way. So not the best card. It is sorcery speed. It is slow. It is costly. But sometimes it does the job. And if you care about zombies, you care about tokens, then it matters. I only put this one in here because it does target multiple players, right? And sorry, it doesn't even target those players. It's just each other player. Right. So if you've got something like Sigard is kind of the, the big one, it's just hexproof and it just gets around those things. I don't know that we need to mention, well, I'll read these cards anyway, but obviously all of the decks from this set had the the standard Lightning Grave, Soul Ring, and Command Tower. Just absolute commander staples, the, the colorless staples in there that you probably should just put in every deck. You don't really second guess it because Lightning Graves, I mean, equip cost zero is just incredibly powerful. Command Tower taps for every color that you need or could need. That's any mana, or that's any land and all lands that you need at yeah, one ex time. exactly. And then... Soul Ring. Soul Ring is just the best ramp in the format. I don't think I need to say much more beyond that. Yeah. So each of these decks are going to have Lightning Creeps, Command Tower, Soul Ring. So if we harp on that again, we apologize. All right. So with Heavenly Inferno, what did Wizards do well? Uh, in my opinion, I think they did a pretty decent job of including aggressive cards. I think it, overall, it's an aggressive deck, which is what it wanted. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that because they really do have a hard focus on combat. You've got cards like Master Warcraft and Bassandra, things that care about who's attacking, who's defending. <clears throat> it's so, very combat-centric. Absolutely. I think this one's, if we were going to give a, a letter grade to being on theme, I think it's probably B. I mean, it's it's pretty on theme. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that because it also does have enough cards that Kalia can cheat in. And yeah. to, to make worth her attacking, you, you will get value out of this deck from combat. There's definitely better cards to cheat in that you could include in the deck, but I think there's enough of them. Yeah, there's there's 21 demons, angels, and dragons in here that you can say, okay, if I'm attacking, most of the time I'm probably going to have one of those cards that I can bring in. Absolutely. Okay, so that's what they did well. What about the things that they didn't do well? What did they do poorly? What, or what is the deck lacking? Ooh, man, I mean, what they did poorly, adding in, like, this sub-theme of life gain matters this whole congregate situation where you don't really have right so what is congregate so congregate is a three colorless and one white for an instant speed target player gains two life for each creature on the battlefield which where you're cheating creatures you could potentially have several creatures on the battlefield right but i i look at congregate i'm like that should be in a token deck right you want to amass an ass of tokens and gain life that way one whole ass just a one whole donkey. ass of tokens yeah um, I feel like that's, it's just a lazy card. It's just yeah, like, there, oh, we're there's, running there's white, more, so let's put some life gain in there. Yeah, and there's more than just Congregate in the deck. There's a, there's a couple life gain cards that really don't fit the theme of the deck. It wants to be attacking, but I don't think it necessarily wants to be gaining enough. I don't think it cares that much about its life total. I think the only life point that it cares about is the last one. Other than that, it only wants to kill. 
It wants to turn cards sideways. It wants to be aggressive. Another thing that the deck doesn't do terribly well is the board wipe selection. Yeah. While it does have a fair number of them, which I don't think the deck necessarily wants to have a lot of borders. I think that the cards that you're putting in... They're too valuable. Agreed. Yeah, they certainly are. They're, they're strong enough and they're costly enough that you're trying to cheat them in. You don't want them yeah. to go away. And there's the not, whole point is not to lose them. Yeah the, yeah, the point is just to cheat them in and try and win quickly. And there's just too many of them. I think it's more a balanced thing where the wipes probably are beneficial in in the box with this format because you don't have card draw and ramp. You might not have a full board at some points, but I would just so much rather have ramp and card draw to get my creatures onto the board instead of trying to wait for the board to fill up on the other side. There's also just kind of too much removal. And if you're running Tariel at the helm where she can like pull stuff from the graveyard onto the battlefield, from your opponent's graveyards onto the battlefield, then that's fantastic. Increase the board wipes, play with that removal. But most of the removal is focused on creatures. It doesn't really help you if somebody has a problematic enchantment or artifact. And these colors, I mean, aside from white, black and red kind of don't deal with enchantments. Yeah. So you kind of need to fight those battles how you can and pick better removal spells. And I think that you can cut down on the removal to make better selections of cards that are relevant creatures that Kalia can bring in. Yeah, I, and you're going to see this as a recurring theme uh, for most of the decks. All but, of the uh, decks. The vows. They just... each have vows, and this one has, you know, I your black and red. I think thematically it was supposed to be sort of like it's, on I think, theme with this set. but Right, it just... I think the idea is that they are political cards. You put a vow on a creature, it gets buffed and has an ability, but it can't attack you. And that's all well and good, but why not just have a more relevant and useful card that helps your helps your game plan. The vows don't really help in Kali, except for they can't attack you, but they could also just hold that creature back and then block. Just because they can't attack you doesn't mean they can't block. Right. So I think you're the only one in the group that's actually played this deck, so I'm going to get your opinion on this one. Is it fun to play? Is it a drag? How do you feel Honestly, about it? Honestly, as much as, you know, we don't like certain things about the deck, I love this deck. Even it though we picked it apart, yeah. such a fun deck because really the only thing that matters is having Kali out. And if you it's can develop aggressive. a way to to keep her alive, keep her protected, and you just swing, all of a sudden, boom. Dragon coming at you for free. That's just pure value. Like, that's such a good feeling to just say, okay, I just put this creature out, and you have to deal with it. Especially if you're the guy that's putting those things out turn four. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it does lack in certain areas, but it is a lot of fun. So <laughs> what could be done to improve this deck? Well, first... Let's put in better Kalia creatures. Yeah. Demons, angels, dragons. They've been in magic since time immemorial. They're just they're just great, right? They're staples to magic as creatures. And there's so many better <laughs> demons, dragons, angels than what's yeah. included in and this. And not to not to talk bad, but I'm pretty sure Sarah Angel's in here and she's like the right. generic angel. Yeah. Like she is the angel that people think of. The other thing that is super critical with this deck. We, we can't not talk about it. And that's, it needs more ramp. It needs more card draw. needs less removal because we're focusing on Kalia here. And it needs better board wipes. I don't know which one I would prioritize more. Obviously ramp, ramp and card draw both, but, but definitely. Because sometimes you can't just cheat in stuff with Kalia, right? If you cheat one thing in and you have something else in your hand. That's true. If you have six mana, you can play that thing. If you never have ramped and you only have Kalia out and you've got four mana, Half the stuff in your deck is unplayable. Yeah, and that that definitely feels bad. So definitely increase the ramp card. That should be your primary focus on this if you're going to upgrade this deck. The last thing of this deck 
is the vows. The vows oh. are the old cycle, basically, of curses. Curses have been continually printed in Commander because they're a political card or they're, you know, like they force interactions that may not happen otherwise. But take them out. They're not what this deck wants. They're not what this deck needs. The politics of this deck are, I'm going to kill you right now. If you can't answer, you die. I mean, there's really there's really no other politicking than, than that. Yeah, and I've got a shit-eating grin right now because I'm just like, yes, that is exactly what happened. Like every time I play this deck, I'm just like, I basically pick on someone and I say, I need to kill you. I could see this and being a deck that you almost hold back sometimes in a four-player game just so that you don't immediately come out the gate looking like the target. As soon as you put Kalia out, you need to be able to to go at go somebody off. at full speed. There is no slow playing it because people see it. As soon as you pull Kalia out as your commander, people are like, oh, he's going to have a bunch of big angels, demons, and dragons that are going to come at my face. I need to have an answer to this in my opening hand. And I've seen, actually, one of the guys in our play group, he mulliganed down to five just so he had a removal spell for Kalia. As soon as I cast Kalia, I was an idiot, didn't have lightning greaves, removed. Gone. And I was just like, oh, I messed up there. Like, I see yeah. that as a problem for me. Because I definitely should have played around that. But, you know, I don't see why he's he's mulliganing, but that was on me. And that's something that, as someone who's played this deck, I understand that Kali is incredibly important. Because I don't want to cast six, seven, eight mana cost creatures. I want to play them for free. Especially, yeah, knowing the state of your ramp and your card draw. Yeah, definitely. So that was the first deck of the 2011 Commander Deck series. It's Heavenly Inferno, headed by Kalia the Vast. All right, <clears throat> deck number two. Deck number two, Mirror Mastery, featuring Riku of Two Reflections. Now, this deck, I think, has the coolest premise. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think Riku is one of the coolest commanders ever printed, just like as a personal thing. One, I love tokens. Two, I love value. Get that value. So EDH Rex says that Riku's got about 1,800, 1,900 decks around him. But what does he do? Riku of Two Reflections reads... Two colorless, blue, red, green. He's a legendary creature, human wizard. And it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may pay a blue and a red. If you do copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. Wow. That's powerful. Wow. Just that. Two mana, copy spell. Yeah. But then, also, whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay a green and a blue. If you do... Put a token that's a copy of that creature onto the battlefield. Until end of turn? No, sir. This is permanent. So you just get a token? Just a token. Okay, that's that's Just sure. a token for your trouble. So I can understand why people are making decks out of this guy. I like this, yeah. Uh, we also have one of my personal favorite commanders. I got to make a shout out to Vinny, friends of the command zone, Animar, Soul of Elements. So good. Such a, a fun creature to, to work around. So Animar is teamer. Just blue, red, green. For a legendary creature, elemental, he's a 1-1. He also has protection from white and black. Whenever you cast a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on Animar's soul developments, and creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each plus one, plus one counter on Animar. Huge. Very powerful effect. We talked about it with the Kalia deck. Cheating of mana cost, super, super strong. Uh, so Animar, strong deck. The reason why I give shout out to the command zone here is because the Animorphs deck is a super fun deck to play. If you haven't made some iteration on it, I definitely suggest you find someone who has because the Animorphs deck is insane. What you do is you play Morph creatures 
and you pay their morph cost as three colorless. But when you have Animar, if he has three tokens on him or three counters on him, you're playing that for free. And then you just have to do their morph cost, which generally is discounted from their normal cost. It's crazy. It's strong. That's for sure. Real strong. So the last one is, I would say, probably the more well-known of the dragons from this block, and that's Intet the Dreamer. So Intet the Dreamer reads three blue, red, green, more teamer, flying. When Intet the Dreamer deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two and a blue. If you do, exile the top card of your library face down. You may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled. You may play that card without paying its mana cost as long as Intet the Dreamer remains on the battlefield. So it sounded like card draw, but no. It's, it's also free, well, not free, reduced creature casting. Oh, absolutely. Say you've got a four-mana creature, and you pay that as two and a blue to exile it, and then you cast it for free. Boom. So this deck is really powerful. Which it is card draw as well, because it's it's helping to filter through those. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, more importantly, it's the cheating of that cost, because you could run into an eight-mana, nine-mana creature. So what's the most important word on Intet? You may play that card, which means if you hit mm. a land, you can still play that. That's, That's something true. That people you don't overlook. have to cast. Yeah. That's something that people overlook on Intet is that it doesn't say cast, which means you are actually allowed to play the lands that you get off of Intet. Even though you're paying for the lands, really, by paying for Intet's cost, you're still getting value off of it. So Animar is a fairly popular commander. He's got about 2,000 decks. More than Riku, kind of because Riku is very specific in what he does. And then you got Intet, who's got about 500 decks on EDH Rec. So these commanders aren't unpopular by any means. They're all powerful. Yeah, they all they, they all can do a significant amount. Uh, so what does the deck want to do? Let's say we're putting Riku as Wizards designed at the helm. What are we trying to do here? In its intended version, we're copying spells, we're copying creatures. We're trying to reduce mana cost and then cast more and more of the saints so basically doubling and tripling your right so the important thing on riku is that you need to cast these things right yeah. and so when you're casting instants and sorceries you're getting a second copy when your creatures etb they get a second copy and if you're really focusing you can either make this kind of a instant sorceries heavy deck or you can make it a creature heavy deck either way as long as you've got the ability to copy them and you're going to get that value two mana for those effects is insane. So, notably, this one is a little bit cheaper if you were to build it on your own. $85 USD, uh, you know, $15 cheaper than the Kalia deck. Uh, average CMC, four, four and a quarter. Well, yeah, about four, a little... 4.25 for, for your average CMC on this, which is a little high considering what the deck wants to do. Because if you're at five mana and you have Riku out, which he does come down on five, you want to be able to, to copy something immediately if you can. Although, with this deck, it's a lot more understandable than with Kalia because there's 12 or 13, depending on how you stipulate them, there's 12 to 13 ramp cards. Right. Yeah, so now that CMC doesn't look nearly as bad as if you only had five. Right. With Kalia, the, the ramp was severely lacking, but in Riku, you definitely have seen Got that. Got that green in there. And the other thing is that with some of the ramp, there are some sorcery-based ramp spells that you can copy with Riku, yeah, which just kind of sweetens the deal. Honestly, with 41 lands and 13 ramps that could potentially be copied, that might even be overkill. I mean, oh, that, I might be, that might be filtering out the potency of the rest of the things that you could be copying. 
Oh, certainly. But if you are copying these ramp spells, and generally in Commander, we don't look at copying a ramp spell as like a super amazing thing to do because you're not looking at a 100-card singleton deck like Commander and saying, oh, if I pull out six lands, then I've thinned my deck. But if you're doing that, you know, six times throughout a game, then that's pretty good. Like, you actually start to thin your deck out and make it more reliable for you to get stuff, especially if you're getting out basic lands, then the lands that you're pulling out are going to be more significant. Speaking of significant lands, one of the significant cards in this deck, I think built around this specific five-deck meta, Homeward Path. Yeah, I definitely would agree. It's not something that you can generally tutor for unless you're looking for just a land, but one of the decks, I think it's the next one we'll probably talk about, is based around stealing other people's creatures, kind of moving things around in a way that you normally wouldn't see. But if you're able to return those creatures to their owner control, that's pretty strong. Homeward Path reads, tap and add a colorless to your mana pool, or tap and each player gains control of all creatures he or she owns. I wouldn't be mad about that. No, especially in this little meta. Yeah. Speaking of significant, looking at the card draw, including some tutors, fact that you're you know having draw ones that are attached to other things and the cycling there's about 10 to 14 different card draw spells here that's pretty good yeah you got to be able to get through the the deck to get to these potent cards that you want to copy yeah and if you're copying draw ones that's a draw two yeah you're spending a little extra mana on it but if it has a significant effect attached to it that's not a bad thing no any of those etbs that you can double is a good idea certainly also, looking at removal, there's about five to seven, which is a little higher than what I'd like to see. But we're talking about including an Annihilator creature, Artisan of Kozilek, which is pretty good. And also, we're looking at counterspells. The way I see it is that when you're looking at a counterspell, it's a one-to-one trade for you and that person. And that's kind of what I look at when I'm talking about removal is a, a one-to-one card trade. Yeah, and it seems to be sometimes it's more effective than just a murder. You know what I mean? It's a lot more rounded. There's only four board wipes, which, which seems... That's, it's in the realm of what I what I like. Mm-hmm. I like three yeah. to four, sometimes five. Uh, but the problem that I have on this is that they're all focused on creatures. Sometimes yeah. you need to get rid of enchantments, artifacts, what have you. And that's not the best way to do it for one-to-one trade. Sometimes you just need to wipe the entire board. So we've got about 25 creatures in here, including Riku. And including the other legends in there, that's not the best number. But we actually have about 21 profitable Riku targets, which is pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, where you're able to copy creatures and instants and sorceries, balancing sort of the creatures and instants heavy, that Uh, sounds pretty good. And as far as instants and sorceries go, there's only about 21 actual Riku targets. I say that because Ruination, which reads, destroy all non-base clans, you can really only do once. And generally speaking, you don't need to copy your counterspell. It's kind of specific. Yeah, and I mean, with something like that, where you don't have to copy it, it's probably okay. You don't necessarily have to have everything copyable. But I mean, if you're getting that value, you may as well find something that's going to work for you. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. All right, so let's jump in straight to the notable cards. We already talked about Homeward Path. Beautiful. kind of is specific to this uh, set, because you do want to return creatures that somebody else has stolen. Um, next one we want to talk about is Edric. Spymaster of Trest. The most notable thing about this, he's banned in 1v1. He's that strong. He's one colorless, green, and a blue. Legendary creature, Elf Rogue. He's a 2-2, and it says, whenever a creature deals damage to one of your opponents, its controller may draw a card. So Edric is basically like the best version of any aura card that's ever been printed. You're encouraging them to attack somebody else 
for a benefit. And also, drawing cards is insanely powerful. You just put a bunch of bun- of unblockable creatures in this deck, and all of a sudden, you're drawing your library. And it is a may trigger. So if you're trying to mill somebody out, and they're just like, eh, but maybe I don't draw this time. Not going to work. Speaking of multiplayer matters, we've got Hydra Omnivore. First of all, the art's insane. It's like a nine-headed turtle or some crazy... You guys got to check out this artwork. It's Fetlin Velenov. He's got to be Russian. Anyway, four colorless, green and a green for a creature Hydra. Whenever Hydra Omnivore deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to each other opponent, and it's an 8-8. Each other opponent. That means if somebody doesn't have a blocker, you say, okay, well, 8 damage to you, and you, and you. Like, (laughs) you're just... That's 24 damage, just spread around. That's a lot. It enables you to get at that strongest player via the weakest player, which is pretty cool. And that becomes very political in the sense that you can be like, well, we need to kill him, and he's at a low life total because we've been focusing him down, but he's still not dead, so no blocks. Come at me. And speaking of working together, we've got Collective Voyage. For one green, you can ramp? Yeah, for only one green mana. It's a sorcery. You got the join forces mechanic, which is pretty cool. Starting with you, each player may pay any amount of mana. Each player searches his or her library for up to X basic land cards, where X is the total amount of mana paid this way. They put them onto the battlefield tapped and then shuffle their library. Right. So this card definitely has political power, but at the same time, you could be the last player in line and just say, well, you guys have already paid three. I'll just go get three because I'm not going to pay. That's true. You can allow everybody else to sort of ramp you. Yeah, absolutely. And so Collective Voyage, while it is a notable card, it's not something that necessarily is something that you want in the Especially deck. Especially when this deck comes with the whole the whole ramp suite. I mean, it's got Cultivate, Kadama's Reach, Explosive Vegetation. It's got Signets. Signets. I it, mean, there's no reason that you would need this extra sort of friendly it's ramp. A, it's a group hug ramp yeah. spell. And this deck is like, I can ramp on my own and I can copy those spells. So why do I need this? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a solid toss. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One that I would not toss, though, is Hull Breach. That's right. Hull Breach is awesome. You pay to pay a red and a green for sorcery. Choose one. Destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or destroy target artifact and target enchantment. For two mana, destroy two artifact or enchantments. Like, that's fantastic. That's such good value. And also something that you're probably going to need to do at some point in time in the game. Even if you have to cast it for just one or the other, you're still getting exactly what you need out of it. For two mana, the only problem is it's sorcery speed, but when you get that kind of value, you kind of forget about it. Yeah, if you can destroy both, I mean, you're getting a return to dust effect for two mana. You immediately are just saying, okay, I'm going to pay this. I'm going to get rid of the two best artifact or enchantments, which are very difficult to remove on their own. I think all commander decks should have some sort of artifact and enchantment removal. Yeah, if you can, definitely. Like, obviously, certain decks, certain colors are not as good at it, but that's why you supplement with other colors to help you get to that. Another one of these cards that I feel like is put in to these decks for, like, this five-deck meta is Spell Crumple. It's, it's like a bad more expensive counterspell, but because you know you're going to be playing against graveyard-type decks, it reads, it's one blue-blue, so obviously one more than any normal counterspell. And it reads, counter-target spell. If that spell is countered this way, put it on the bottom of its owner's library instead of into that player's graveyard. Put spell crumple on the bottom of its owner's library. 
Right. So as you mentioned, there are some Graveyard Matters decks in this group. And to not just counter the spell, but to say it's not accessible from your graveyard is actually surprisingly important in this group. Yeah, especially when you know some people are just playing spells to toss them into the bin. You can choose which ones don't. Yeah, I think that's that's something that's really important. Uh, speaking of just casting creatures, we've got Evoke creatures in this deck. And for those of you that don't know, Evoke is generally a cheaper way to cast a creature. You get the ETB effect off of them, and then you're forced to sacrifice them as they enter the battlefield. In essence, it's turning a creature into some sort of sorcery. Right. But with Riku, you get a copy that creature, get a token of them that stays on the battlefield, and also get a copy of the ETB effect that they have. That's strong. So, for example, we've got Aether Snipe, which is five and a blue. And you can evoke it for one blue-blue. So normally that means that it's going to be sacrificed when it enters the battlefield. But Riku sees that it gets an ETB effect, and it says, okay, I can copy this. So for an extra blue and a green, you can copy it, which means you're paying less than the normal retail. You get a second copy of it, and you get the ETB effect, which for Aether Snipe is, whenever it enters the battlefield, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Which means you get to bounce somebody's non-land permanent, get the Aether Snipe, which is a 4-4, and you get that effect twice. Now, not all of these evoke creatures are going to be there, but there's one that I'm seeing is kind of missing. Good old Mole Drifter. Mole Drifter. Why is Mole Drifter not in this deck? Mole Drifter is four and a blue for a 2-2 flying creature. I believe it's an elemental. And when it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards. So you can cast for its evoke cost of two and a blue. So it's divination if you cast it for its evoke cost. If you copy that, you pay the normal Mole Drifter cost of five mana for draw four and you also get a 2-2 flyer out of the deal. That's a pretty damn good deal. But it does have Lightning Greaves, Command Tower, and Soul Ring, as we saw with the other decks. Just staples. So, as far as this deck goes, how do you think they did? I think that as far as our EDH guidelines that we've set up, they did pretty well, right? We've got Ramp, we've got Card Draw, and they're about 10+. plus. Which they might have overshot a little, but... A little bit, but you're going to need that Ramp to help Riku with his ability, right? You have to spend an extra 2 mana for any spell or any creature that you cast. So having extra Ramp isn't going to hurt, and having extra Card Draw to fill your hand... It's going to be awesome. Plus, you're basically doubling, hopefully, the potency of everything you cast. Yeah, definitely. And also, they have a diverse set of spells and creatures for a variety of situations. So this deck kind of covers most bases. In certain areas, though, it's not quite as strong as I'd like. While it does have a lot of draw spells, a lot of it is tacked on to direct damage spells like Fire and Ice or Electrolyze. I just want card draw. Just give me Divination that I can copy. Give me... I know. Mold Drifter that I can copy. Give me things that just says, okay, this is a good value effect on its own. Let me copy it and get more value. Too many of the spells just actually need to be copied to get actual real value. Yeah, some of them aren't as potent as you'd like, especially with that much ramp. Yeah, like a bounce spell that lets me draw a card. Am I playing that card to draw the cards or am I playing it as a removal spell? And when you look at a deck like this, the mana cost becomes incredibly prohibitive because anything that you have to double to get actual value off of you have to spend an extra two mana on top of that card's effect just to get the value that you actually want out of it. Why not just have a better spell? Last, again, they've got the vows. Just cut them. Don't think about them. Toss all of them. You can't copy them. So what good are they? As always, we'd like to talk about, is this deck fun to play? And as someone who loves Storm, loves copying spells, instant sorceries, I think this deck would be tight. It's not the way that I would have done it because I think it tried to split the middle too much in that it's trying to do instance sorceries 
and then also creatures with ETB effects. Personally, I think I would rather just go a ton of ETB creatures or a ton of instants and sorceries, but that's a personal thing. And I think the deck on its own is fun to play. Yeah, it could be hot. It could be tuned better, of course, like any of the precons can. Right. So then how would you do it? Well, obviously I would pick a side like you were saying. I mean, you got to figure out which one you want and how potent those things need to be. Go creatures, go sorceries, go instants, however it is, and then really hammer that point home. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Also, it has some land destruction spells, which if you're using land destruction, don't have spells that hurt yourself. Also, don't have ones that need extra mana for you to put into because you need that mana for other spells. Yeah, there's no reason to be using any land destruction that's group hug land destruction. That's never... Yeah, things that hurt yourself is not going to be good in the Riku deck. No. Also, let's try and bring that curve down. It's at like 4.25. Let's try and bring that down because Riku costs 5 and you need to be able to copy basically everything that's in the deck. Yeah, bringing that curve down and taking out those vowels. I mean, just those two things can be... Yeah, I think that, that those two things alone would really help. Like, it's already got enough ramps, got enough card draw, and if you have removal that you're allowed to copy, then one removal spell kind of counts as two. So that was the Mirror Mastery deck as headed by Riku of Two Reflections, probably the strongest card to lead this deck with, I think. Yeah, it definitely gives you the best options. And like we said, it's probably pretty fun to play. Needs a little tuning. Uh, I think that's going to be a theme for any pre-con you buy from any year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So the next deck we have is the Counterpunch deck. This one seems pretty fun. Yeah, this one is headed by Gave, Guru of Spores. Now, I don't know how to pronounce that. It could be Gave. It could be Gave. He's the Guru of Spores. What does he do? So Gave is two generic mana, a white, a black, and a green for zero, zero legendary creature, Fungus Shaman. So five mana with Obzon for a zero, zero. For a zero, zero. However, Gave, Guru of Spores, enters a battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on it. Five mana for a 5-5 five, five. seems decent. That seems all right. Now you can tap one generic and remove a 1-1 one, one counter from a creature you control, not just from Gave, but from any creature you control. Create a green 1-1 one, one sapperling creature token. For one generic, you can also sacrifice a creature and put a 1-1 one, one counter on target creatures. So it's sort of the ability to swap counters for tokens. So yeah, you cycle them, remove a counter from Gave, make a sapperling, sac sapperling, put a counter on them. Kind of seems bad unless you have a way to double those things. It sort of seems like he splits the difference between plus one, plus one matters and tokens, tokens matter. Yeah, certainly. And that really seems to be what this deck wants to do. Either just generate a bunch of plus one, plus one counters or a bunch of tokens. Either way, it sounds like you're probably off pretty strong here. Yeah, token token decks tend to be powerful in and of themselves, especially in green, I think. Yeah. It also has Carador, Ghost Chieftain, who's a fairly popular commander in his own right. He actually has more decks than what Gave does on ADH Rec. So Carador, Ghost Chieftain, is a legendary creature, Centaur Spirit. He costs one less to cast for each creature card in Graveyard, and normally he'd cost five, and then Obzon, that is black, green, white. During each of your turns, you may cast one creature card from your Graveyard. So if you self-mill, you get a bunch of stuff in your Graveyard, he costs Obzon. Even with command attacks... That's probably pretty decent. Not Plus, too bad. you're allowed to cast creatures from your graveyard. That sounds pretty strong. The other creature that you could have at the helm of your deck here is Teneb the Harvester. He's the dragon of this deck. He costs three black, green, white for a 6-6 six, six dragon with flying. Whenever Teneb the Harvester deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two and a black. If you do, put target creature card from a graveyard 
onto the battlefield under your control. So definitely cares about graveyard matters. Seems to be two creatures in here that care about it. Yeah, it seems like the two other commanders, possible commanders, are sort of antithetical to Gave. Yeah, it definitely seems like Gave wants to just have a bunch of tokens out, put plus and plus and counters on. I'm kind of mixing around tokens versus counters. But the other guy cares about graveyards. I guess it could be they added those in because Gave is sacrificing creatures at some point. Yeah, certainly that definitely seems to be a possibility. So yeah. let's get down to the basics of this deck. If you were to build it on your own, it costs about 100 US. Not the most expensive one, not the cheapest one. Certainly. It's it's about where I'd normally build a deck. Uh, the average CMC on this is about 3.8, which isn't too bad. Normally I like to bring that down a little bit more. It's got 39 lands, which are fairly decently split amongst the colors. What about our EDH staples? We need ramp, we need card drop, we need removal, we need some board wipes. What have we got? Lands were at 39, um, so that puts us at a good spot for most decks anyway, but we've also got nine ramp cards, which I think for a green deck is, that's about right. That's I'm, about not, right. I'm not, I'm definitely not mad at it. It definitely is within the realm that I normally like. I like about eight to 10, so that fits in. I think with 39 lands and nine ramp cards, I would actually trade off a couple ramp cards for the card draw because the card draws at four, which four. seems low. That's a bit low for what I like in an EDH deck. I like about 8 to 10 like I do with my ramp. So if I could add in 4 or 5, bring it up to where the ramp is at, I'd be a lot happier. Yeah. The removal seems pretty high, but I think that's because the board wipes are low, which makes sense for a token deck. We don't want to be wiping the board all the time if we're trying to fill it. Right, but how many board wipes are there? There's only one. That is that's a pretty low, low. I will say. That is definitely low. I guess if you're using to neb and you're interacting with other people's graveyards then certainly it's great you could you know use removal to get rid of a creature and then use to neb's ability to steal targeted specific creatures yeah and i think that that's okay but generally speaking i'd kind of like to bring up board wipe because there are some circumstances even in token decks where you want to wipe the board because you can't target a specific creature or because somebody else's creature base is just way bigger than yours all right so we clearly care about creatures. We clearly care about plus one, plus one counters. Definitely. But how many of them do we have in the deck? It's sort of split in a weird way. We've only got eight plus one, plus one counters matters cards. And that's so. without Gave. So that's, that right. seems a little low in the fact that Gave wants to take plus one, plus one counters off of creatures. Yeah, it's not just that he wants them. He wants to move them around. And so you'd think that you'd have more creatures that care about where those plus one, plus one counters are, where how many there are. Right. And he also cares about tokens so oh not necessarily tokens just creatures in general but having a lot of token generation seems like it would really fuel his abilities a little more yeah there's 18 token generators so that seems a little more on point that's definitely not insignificant for sure there's also kind of a sub theme here in just sacrifice and there's about four sack outlets in the deck total and that's okay not counting gave and that's okay but you really kind of want uh a nice base of sacrifice if you're going to do that in this sort of deck. But Gavi kind of seems to be the one who fuels the sacrifice, and I'm just not seeing that in this deck. So what notable cards do we actually have in this deck? So uh, first notable card that we've got here is Chorus of the Conclave. So that's a Selesnia card, right? Absolutely. We've got four generic, two green, and two white. So it's eight mana for a 3-8 legendary creature dryad. It's got a big butt. It's got a big old butt. It's got Forest Walk, and as an additional cost to cast creature spells, you may pay any amount of mana. If you do, that creature enters the battlefield with that many additional plus one, plus one counters on it. So 
in theme, this is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Huge. Like, if you can get any creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it, then Gabe doesn't care how how many counters are on a creature. As long as there's one, it can take it off, make a token, and you're off to the races. And it doesn't matter how it got there. He just cares about the counter itself. Definitely. Um, so this seems like a decent card in it, but it's super expensive. And I don't know why it has Forest Walk. Probably theme. I mean, it seems on theme, and it seems really potent, even though it's expensive. You're ramping really hard. You've got quite a bit of lands. And if you're able to cast it for eight, then anything subsequently cast is all pretty much always going to be pumped. Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Like, the idea is that if you cast this for eight, anything that costs seven or less is coming in with a counter. Oh, yeah. Speaking of anything that costs seven mana or less, we've got Vishkal Blood Arbiter, which is four generic, a white, and two blacks. So he's a 5-5 five, five for seven. He's got flying and lifelink. That's decent as it is. He says, sacrifice a creature, put X plus one plus one counters on Vishkal Blood Arbiter, where X is a sacrificed creature's power. That sounds like a one-shot commander. Remove all plus one plus one counters from Vishkal. Target creature gets negative one, negative one until end of turn for each plus one, plus one counter removed this way. So he's kind of removal on a stick. I wish that it was more remove X plus one, plus one counters rather than just remove all of them. Yeah, there's some hoops, but it's not terrible value. No, definitely not. Speaking of value, we've got fucking scavenging ooze. Ooh, baby. The ooze is just, I mean, it's an incredible card. It's good in basically all formats. And the reason being is, it costs one and a green for a 2-2. Two, two. It's a bear. Fantastic. Next. Oh, wait. You mean it also has an activated ability? Pay green. Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on scavenging goose, and you gain one life. Graveyard hate, plus one, plus one counters. And just a little bit of life, life gain. gain. Yeah. That's value. I that like that value. a lot. That's good value. I like that. Uh, speaking of plus one, plus one counters, we've also got Fertilid, which... Generally speaking, isn't like the most amazing cards, but if you can manipulate these counters, it turns into a much better card. So it reads, two generic and a green for a zero zero creature elemental. Fertilid enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. For a generic and a green, you can remove a plus one plus one counter from Fertilid and target player searches their library for a basic land card, puts it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffles their library. So you got ramp on a stick times two. Yeah, it, it harkens back to like a Burnished Heart type of card. You know what I mean? 2-2 two, two for two lands. Plus an essence. ability and, and you definitely get the, the two. But it's more on theme with the, the counters. Yeah, definitely. And if you can add counters to this, then it just becomes that much better. Because if you can do this every turn, then, I mean, by turn six, all of a sudden you have like nine lands. Oh, yeah. This deck also has, you know, some of the classic green ramp staples. Sakura Tribelder. It's got Kodama's Reach. Cultivate. Cultivate. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely got a lot of, of good ramp from EDH. It also has the classic green draw spells like Harmonize, which is two green green to draw three. Sick. That's fine. And it also has Yavimaya Elder, which you can sack it to draw a card. And when it dies, you get to put two land cards in your hand, basic lands. Also with this deck specifically, because it's so token heavy, Skull Clamp becomes huge. Skull Clamp is massive. Pay one to draw two? What is the reading on Skull Clamp? Not only, yeah, and it's repeatable. So you got Skull Clamp. It's one generic mana. It's an artifact equipment. And like most artifact equipments, it says equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. 
whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards. Now the equip cost is only one. So you cast it for one and then continue to cast a draw two card spell for one. That's pretty crazy. Especially with That's all the sapperlings you're generating. Yeah. Just murdering, murdering tokens. You don't always have to be generating sapperlings. So they've got Alliance of Arms, which is the joined forces of this deck. And while it's not the best card, because Join Forces, again, like the previous deck, Join Forces isn't the best for the player who casts it because you're always going to be down one from any of the mana that's put into it. But it does generate one ones, which something like Skull Clamp can just benefit from immediately. It's one of those things where you've got everybody sort of loading up their board with these little teeny one ones, but potentially your value is better because of things like Skull Clamp. You can use those tokens in a way that maybe the rest of the the board can't. Right. And Gavi cares about you sacrificing creatures. So if you just generate a ton of one ones, you can get more value than what your opponents are, hopefully. And with that token gen theme, we've also got Stormward, which is a personal favorite win Huge. con for me. You generate X11 white Pegasus creature tokens with flying, where X is your life total. Remember, in Huge Commander, in we Commander. start with 40. And this costs eight white, white. But if so you it's a can, bit to get to. But if you can do it, you're probably going to win. I mean, even, even, I mean, obviously, even later in the game, 20 is not a bad deal. Yeah, 20 for 10 mana, that's a lot. And they've got flying, so they've got natural evasion, which means that you're probably going to be able to get in with them. Yeah, I like that card a lot. Now, I see this one as probably one of the more on-theme decks. Uh, what do you think, how, do you, how well do you think they did? I think they did all right with this one. I think that there's some cards that are a little bit lacking, but they've got, again, more staples like Mortify. They actually put Shriekma on this one, which if you care about your graveyard, then it's definitely more important. Uh, they've got Awakening Zone, which is perfect in this sort of deck because you just get a free token, and it also helps kind of ramp you. Uh, and I think the, maybe not the best card in this deck, but... One of the most, like, on-theme as far as token generations is Hour of Awakening. It's got Convoke, which is huge when you're generating tokens, and it destroys all non-token creatures. So it's a non-token creature board wipe, which, if you've got Gavi, yeah, yeah, it's a little feels bad, but then all of your tokens are alive for you to swing with. So something like that is huge. It's such a good card. Personally, as someone who runs a lot of token generation decks... I love this card. Some of the things they didn't do as well. As far as plus one, plus one gen, there's only eight cards in there. And if you're putting it onto your tokens and they're all one ones, like, yeah, you're doubling your power, which can be significant. But I feel like you need to either focus on your plus one, plus one counter generation or your token generation. Yeah, I think the idea of most token decks when you're when you're talking about pumping them is not just a one one. And so you're running into this kind of back and forth where you're trying to decide, do I want to have a whole bunch of tokens that I can pump or do I want to have a whole bunch of tokens that I can sacrifice and manipulate in order to gain value? Right. I think and that's kind of the, the tr struggle with this deck is that it wants to do too many things. It wants to make tokens. It wants to make plus one, plus one counters and it wants to sacrifice creatures, but it wants to do those things kind of at the same time, and that just doesn't work out. Like we talked about in the beginning, the card draw is just so low. Yeah, and the board wipes, like, it, there's only one in there, and granted, it is probably the best one that they could have in a token deck, but it's just too circumstantial, and if you never draw it, and you need it, that's a problem. Now, it does have a lot of removal, which, in a deck that cares about graveyards, is okay, 
But generally speaking, you're not running Carador and you're not running Teneb. So if we're looking at this as a Gave deck, there's too much removal that doesn't assist you in your game plan. Yeah, and of course it's got the vows. Of course the vows. The original curses. Another one of those decks that I don't think uses the vows well. So probably take out the vows unless there's like a significant reason for you to help out your opponents. So what do you think, Garen? Is this deck going to be fun to play? I think this deck is fun because of how sort of wide it can go. I think that tends to be a fun way to play. Um, if you could focus it a little more, I think it'd definitely be more competitive, which tends to make things a little more fun. So for you personally, are you investing more in the plus one plus one counter generation or do you want to care about tokens? I want tokens. I feel like this feeds more into the tokens realm as far as some of the more potent cards. I would, I mean, Gave comes with the plus one plus one counter generation tacked on. You can't swap that out. But I think to lean heavier on the tokens and how to manipulate those tokens and use them to your advantage. Right. I, I, that's the way I would build it. Yeah. So for me, I'm looking at like, I want the token doubling effects, right? Yeah. Like we need doubling season, probably anointed procession. Like just make it so that when you make a token, it's worth more. Uh, you can, like there is a, a general sacrifice sub theme of the deck. And if you have something like blood artist or some way to capitalize on that, the deck is going to be a lot stronger. However, if you're not really focusing on the sacrifice outlets, then replace them with more relevant cards that are going to help you, like card drop, the board wipes, maybe a little bit more ramp. I think card draw over board wipes for sure. Yeah, I think this deck definitely Board wipes are super low too, but the card draw is definitely where you're going to run into problems where you're ramping like hell and then have no cards to play with that mana. Yeah, I think card draw is something that this deck definitely could do better on. Like most decks, I think. I think a fair number of the, the pre-constructed decks are going to be lacking in card draw at some point in time. And so I think that that's kind of something that you need to know when you're looking at a pre-con so that you can upgrade it and make it so that you're going to have more consistent play. So I think as you guys have probably noticed by now into the video, this is quite a long episode and we're only a little over halfway through the 2011 Commander decks. We've only done three of the five. Yeah, so I think we probably are going to wrap it up here. But before we do so, let's talk about the drinks that we've had. Oh, man. This Oaken Orchard uh, by Epic Brewing. Uh, I guess I'll read it again. It's got it's a sour aged ale in oak barrels with cherry blackberry and black currant. And good God, if you thought that last sour we talked about was too sweet and not enough sour, this one will kick you in the teeth. This one was good and sour. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. When I tasted it after drinking this stout, I was just like, ooh, uh, pucker, no. Yeah, I, I thought that it was going to be way more fruity because it says, of course, cherry, blackberry, and blackcurrant, you know. The, it just names a bunch of fruits. <laughs> right, it just says it's so fruity, but honestly, because it was aged in those blackberries, it tasted really wine-like. Very sour, but it had that kind of wine sort of fermented fruit flavor instead of like a fresh citrusy, you know. Yeah, and I think that helps with when it's an aged beer. It definitely kind of gets that, those uh, aged notes to it. It kind of takes on the flavor of the barrel a lot more and you get that woody kind of taste to it. Delicious. Personally, I was drinking the Goose Island Bourbon County brand stout. It's an imperial stout and... Holy shit, like, it's powerful. It is a strong, hefty boy, but damn, is it it's not It's a loaf good. of bread in a bottle. Yeah, like, the first smell, immediately I was just like, 
Huh. They put pumpernickel into a beer. It's good, though. It is good. And you can definitely taste the bourbon. You can definitely taste... 15% alcohol. Yeah, it's definitely higher. If you're lightweight, maybe take it slowly on this one. Also, this is a limited edition beer. So this is the 2018 version of this beer. I had the 2017 last year. And man, was that a good beer. And, And I don't know necessarily how to compare them, but... This one has definitely been one of my favorite beers. Yeah, it's definitely a special occasion sipping beer. Yeah, so if you definitely have any good beers that you want us to try or that you'd recommend to us, tweet at us, let us know. Personally, I would recommend this Bourbon County, but only if you like dark beer, because otherwise this is definitely going to be a little overwhelming Ooh, for it's you. it's dark. Because yeah. it is dark. Like, you're going you're gonna to be sipping on this for a while. It's not the, the easiest to drink, but man, is it delicious. Now, because we are splitting this episode in two, we're going to ask you guys to come back next week. We're going to start off with the last two decks, the Political Puppets deck and the Devour for Power. Ooh, speaking from experience, Mimeoplasm is hella fun. And also speaking from experience, the Political Puppets deck isn't something to mess around with lightly. Speaking of things not to be taken lightly, don't drink and drive. Don't drink if you're underage. We can't condone underage drinking, guys. I'm so sorry. As much as we want you to have fun, we want you to be responsible and we want you to be safe. And this game, it really is all about having fun. So find your group of friends, grab some brews if you're of age, and just go make some memories, man. This game's the greatest game on earth. Like, that's what it's all about, just having fun and enjoying your friends. And if you have a good game or games or beer, let us know. Tweet at me. all of the above, yeah. I'm at Drew Flitton. I'm at Gary and Wells. And we'll see you next week for the Commander 2011 Deck Review.